Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Hello, everyone. Welcome to What Do You Know About That? Thanks for tuning in on this lovely Thursday, April 28th, 2022. Happy Thursday, Eric. Happy Thursday, Mary Angela. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I can't complain. How are you? Oh, I'm keeping busy. You know, I was out of town, as you know, uh, for most of the week last week in Boulder. That was lovely. Oh. So happy to be back in Philadelphia, though. Glad to see that. So while we were all up. freezing here, you were enjoying beautiful Southwest weather. Yeah, and no, it was quite awesome. I mean, there's a reason why everyone out there hikes because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just meant for it. Yeah. So you took a flight with uh, uh with the newly mask mandate being lifted in the in the airlines. How was that? It was really. I mean, because first of all, I haven't been in it airport in I don't know how long it's been a number of years but uh, I certainly don't miss it and I think with the mask mandate being lifted a lot more people were flying so it was familiar to me in that you know the airport terminal was like being packed in a can of sardines there's a lot of people there, mm. a lot of people on the flights. It was a full flight, and you had about, I'd say, a healthy mix of people who were masked and not masked. Yeah, so. people just rolling those dice, taking their chances. I mean, well, yeah. I think I will probably forever wear a mask on mass transit and public transportation because it never really occurred to me until this situation came up and the pandemic started that – you know, yeah, we spend a lot of time breathing other people's air, and I'm I'm kind of okay with not doing that. <laughs> no, this is true. I, I I'm a fan of um, maintaining a a safe little bubble around my physical being. I've always been that way. So, uh, yeah, I'm you know if they could keep the six foot distance and yeah, mandate that, i'd be okay with that <laughs> yeah, oh, i'm that, sorry you're too close six foot mandate no Back up. The, the minute we all started wearing masks everywhere people stopped respecting social distancing but uh it's fine so uh, tell us what's happening this day in science so this day in science april 28th uh in 2014 biologists explained the deadly 1918 flu pandemic. <laughs> wow. So that so, was when? 2018? Uh, 2014. Oh, 14, okay. Yeah, so, so before the pandemic sure. hit. But biologists from the University of Arizona published the results of their research into the nature of the 1918 flu pandemic, which was responsible for the deaths of nearly 50 million people worldwide. The virus, whose severity and lethality puzzled researchers for nearly a century, was especially infamous for how it targeted young people in their prime. Experts now say victims' exposure or lack thereof to previous strains of the flu determined the virus's effects, and the flu's lethality was partially due to childhood exposure to another H1 virus. In addition to solving one of history's most deadly mysteries, this research shed light 
on the importance of childhood exposure to certain viruses, much like through vaccines and how that exposure might translate to susceptibility later in life. Mm. So virology and certainly uh, quite relevant. It's interesting, though, they noted about susceptibility. So I'm, I'm wondering if the eight, 1918 flu pandemic didn't happen, would we have seen a higher mortality rate? Within yeah. the past, you know, over the past two years. So, yeah, probably. So, be grateful for the 1918 flu pandemic. <laughs> we learned a lot of lessons that we promptly ignored and then had to learn them all over again 100 years later. But it's fine. It's fine. Well, what does Mark, <laughs> Mark Twain said? Uh, 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 history doesn't repeat itself, but it has a way of rhyming. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. So, well. uh, what's on your radar in the neighborhood since I've been out of town? So I feel I'm a little checked out here. So clue me in. Well, I'm pretty excited because uh, this weekend, starting, I think it is tomorrow, Friday, is this awesome blocks uh, yard sale or what do you want to say? street sale i guess because it's not really in their yards but it is going to be a multi-family sale and event it will span the 100 and 200 blocks of east cliveden street uh, and it'll run for three days it's friday april 29th through sunday may 1st from 10 a.m to 5 p.m each of those days and all the families on those two blocks are going to be putting things out onto their yard and sidewalks and you can go and help um, those families get rid of some things that they've been <laughs> meaning to purge, but also well, go to new homes, which would be great. Exactly. I will say I have made some pretty decent finds in the neighborhood. Oh, sure. So you never know what I'm folks excited. are getting They're rid of. They're listing things like furniture, wall art, paintings, posters, vintage photos, clothes, jewelries, collectibles, vintage items, tools, all kinds of things like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'll walk two blocks and... See what's going on. You never know what you can find. Um, but and again, that's this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 10 to 5. You should take a walk, check it out um, in the neighborhood. Awesome. Um, the other thing that came up for me was something very interesting that actually just came up in the last uh, 24 hours. And that is, um, it was started by a post on the Living in Germantown Altogether group on Facebook that I'm part of. I love that group. They're good people there. Mm-hmm. And... Somebody posted about being curious why this group uh, was co-sponsoring a self-defense gun safety training class. Hmm. And it was an event that was posted in the group. And what had happened was the person who posted it just happened to also be one of the administrators of the group. And so, excuse me, if you don't know, in Facebook, if you're an administrator of a page and you go to post an event... It will always default to the page that you administrate. If you administrate multiple pages like I do, it'll default to the most recent page you've been an active administrator on. Right. And it will then post in that group as that group. Like basically that group is now creating that event instead of you personally creating that event. And what the person was trying to do was share this event not necessarily say that the group was sponsoring it, which right. raised this question. Um, and this person who posted the question was was pretty upset because they were like, we do a lot of talking in this group about ways to minimize gun violence and minimize the number of guns in our neighborhood. Why are you hosting an event about gun safety? Which then brought up other questions. So first of all, it took 
It's kind yeah. of a double-edged sword there. No, it is. We're going to get to that. That's You're 100% right. The, the, the response you're about to have is pretty much what happened in this group. So first of all, it took per- one person like one second to figure out what had happened. Okay, you're an administrator of this group. You posted the event. You didn't realize it defaults to this. You've got to change these settings, blah, blah, blah. That was all explained. Mm-hmm. Then another person chimed in and said, okay, great. Thanks for clearing that up. But also, <laughs> let's talk about this event. Like... Why are you, as an administrator, why do you feel like you should be sharing that here if we're really trying, you know, to minimize the number of, of you know, guns that are that are in our neighborhood? And the response came both ways. There were a lot of people who were like, yeah, I fully agree. We should not be promoting something like this. And then another group said, you know, this is for legal gun owners. And if you're going to have a gun, then you definitely should learn how to handle it safely to protect yourself because the event itself had the words gun safety for self-defense in the title. And the actual event is somewhere out in King of Prussia. It's not even like oh, here. got it. But it's it's like a training. So like you have a gun in your house. Here's how to use it. Here's how to use it to protect yourself. Here's how to use it safely. Here's how to keep it, store it safely. So your children don't find it. So their friends don't find it. So that, you know, it doesn't get stolen and used in crimes. And that is where the double-edged sword comes, right? Because while I would never own a gun, if I did... I absolutely would want to know how to handle it safely. And I most certainly know people who do own guns and who are safe gun owners who I also am glad they understand how to handle it safely. Do I worry that their house might get broken into and that gun gets stolen and used against them or used in a crime against someone else? Absolutely. 100%. Which is why I won't own a gun. I, mm. I don't I don't want that in my house. I don't want to worry about that. Right. But I fully respect people who do. And I do think with this uptake in gun violence, which, I mean, I know you've heard about, you know, we've had a a pretty deadly month in Philadelphia as far as gun violence goes, particularly um, in the Northwest and the Mm -hmm. Northeast. So then it makes you think, I understand why people would want to protect themselves. And when we want those people to be trained on how to use it safely. Well, yeah, to me, it's, it's separating the issue of promoting guns and, you know, firearm education. Because I think focusing on the education piece, I don't see necessarily a downside to that. But if you do have a weapon, especially if you got like little kids in your house, you want to make sure that you're adhering to safety rules. I mean, it does seem kind of odd that it would you would be promoting that around here only because I, I think most people around here are probably, for the most part, anti-gun. But again, as you point out, there is gun violence in the neighborhood. Right, and sure. I think that is drawing people to, to become... Gun owners. I mean, you know, look at the guy who was carjacked, right? Who ended up shooting the guy that was mm-hmm. carjacking him because he had a gun. He was a gun, ca- and he was in this neighborhood, and he was like, "Yeah, I." And he was a legal gun owner. It was his gun. He had absolutely every right to have it to carry it. He had a, you know, a carry concealed permit. Like he mm-hmm. followed all the rules, and it helped him out of a very sticky situation. He, you know, could have he could have been seriously hurt. I mean, it's unfortunate he shot a man, but it's. You know, he was able and to not protect that we're, himself. You know, per, you know, supporting one yes. position or another. One hundred percent. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm just saying it was a very interesting yeah. conversation to see how the neighborhood fell on both sides. Someone posted an infographic that I thought was really also quite interesting, which is um, right now um, for the city of Philadelphia, about seventy nine percent of the gun crimes that happen in Philadelphia mm-hmm. are committed with a gun that belongs belong to someone else. Right. Committed by a person who's have someone else's gun. And only 18% of them 
were committed by a person who legally had the right to own the gun. And that, and usually in that case, was somebody defending themselves. And so it's not really, a, I mean, it is a crime because there was, you know, manslaughter involved. But And it I, I'd be curious to, one, you know, how they slice up the statistics when you consider these guns are stolen. Like, where were they stolen? Were they... I am glad you asked that because okay. somebody else in the group brought that up too. They actually shared an article that was recent from this past week about how there was a huge correlation of guns used in this latest wave of gun violence. And they're all from a gun show in Georgia. Oh, They were whoa. bought all in Georgia in probably a large amount and then brought up here and distributed. Well, that's a topic for another show, I'm telling you, just yeah. because of loopholes with gun ownership and how you achieve a permit and how these gun shows operate that allow people to walk out of those shows with a weapon uh, without, I guess, going through proper channels. Well, and be able to walk out with multiple weapons. I mean, that's what was so interesting yes. was that they correlated all of these to one location. Mm. And they were like, look, I mean, it wasn't all the guns that were used in last month, obviously, but it was a, a, a high higher percentage were from there than weren't. And that is what's really shocking where it's like, whoa, because what they also find in trends, obviously, is that you don't use the same gun in multiple crimes, mm -hmm. right? You're going to go ditch that gun right, after right. the crime happens. Um, or it gets confiscated by correct. the police or something. Yeah. Right. So the need for an influx, right, of of weapons, if they've, you know, if the police are trying to crack down, if we're, you know, trying to combat gun violence, then, yeah, I just, I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, they, they put that in the group as well. And I don't think a consensus was come to in this thread, but I was really, I was pleased to see how civil it stayed. That's no, nice. Nobody, you know, pointed fingers, nobody berated anybody for their opinions on either side of it. It was actually a really good, I think, civic community conversation that happened without any ugliness. And, you know, that isn't always how these kind of hot topics go. So no, it's I was true. super and I think impressed. The only, the only way to really address it is just keep them talking. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. all you can do. I uh, mean, and I as mean, of a few minutes ago, the conversation's still going on. So uh, it's been going on. <laughs> I just mean on that thread. <laughs> like I know. Pe people are still commenting on that thread. Well, that's good, though. That's what I got for the neighborhood. That's what's been going on. Awesome. Well, mm -hmm. thank you for that. Mm hmm. What are we talking about today? Well, What's our main topic today? You know, I really wanted to go back and revisit the last time I was talking about a, a topic of particular interest to myself, and I got so overwhelmed with content that we ran out of time, and we anticipated that, uh, and that is the conversation around food. Mm. You know, last time I brought this topic up, there was a lot of focus on the agricultural side, the source. Where do we get our food from? What are some of the issues, some of the concerns around how we manage agriculture? And talked a lot about animal agriculture in particular, but, you know, impact to sustainability, environment, and ultimately human health and safety in our population. So I kind of wanted to sort of pick up on the thread of where I was at before because I started talking about animal agriculture and then uh, meat production and then just started to broach the topic of meat alternatives. And I kind of wanted to pick up from there a little bit, but really 
take this episode to focus on some aspects tied to what do we need as humans in terms of nutrition and what value do we derive out of our food and how can improvements in food manufacturing help to manage some of those challenges like in you know environmental impact but also uh, health and human safety. And then just talk a little bit about some of the uh, items that you may come across when you're reading your food labels. So a lot of food nowadays we buy, it's in a box and that box has a label on it. So I know there's some things that people have probably encountered and maybe have scratched their head and, or maybe just never even given it two thoughts, but just wanted to touch a little bit on, on some of that and maybe sodium bicarbonate, xanthan gum. Yes. Some (laughs) of those. Well, we mentioned xanthan gum, but that, that kind of feeds into it. So we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit, but first I wanted to Again, kind of take a step backwards and and talk about meat consumption because animal agriculture is huge in the United States. Uh, you know, we talked about some of the issues that it contributes to from an environmental perspective. There's also you know the animal welfare concern, but then there's another piece, and that is human health and safety. And there's some issues with how meat is produced. If we were to say go back to high school here, biology 101. Sure. So. Uh, why do we consume meat in the first place? Well, it's I mean, good. aside from the fact that it tastes good, smells <laughs> good, right? All of this <laughs> appeals to our biology, mm-hmm. but it specifically has to do with amino acids. So, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins, neurotransmitters, uh, and hormones that are, you know, present in your body that help regulate just the daily function of your existence. If you didn't have proteins, you wouldn't have the chemical reactions happening in your body, and Of the 20 that are in existence in your body, there are a classification of nine, what are called nine essential amino acids. I won't run down the list of all of those names. You can easily research those on your own, but all of those nine essential amino acids you're going to find in animal protein. Your body breaks down the protein into the amino acids and then rebuilds new proteins out of them. So for you know that being sort of the maybe the biological argument as to why we consume meat however there are sources you know that are non-meat sources of amino acids which many vegetarian and vegans will attest to and just to name a few of them here obviously the big one which is marketed in everything we talked about them constituting the the one of the hugest crops in the US and that is soy soy actually soybeans Edamame, uh, tofu, all, all those those soy-based products, uh, you will find all those non-essential amino acids in. Um, likewise, you will find those with beans. Now, the key difference, though, is depending on, say, the kind of beans you're eating, as well as with tofu, though there may be presence of those essential amino acids, they vary in terms of the content. Mm. So compared to meat, meat's going to be chock full of them. So you have to really have a diverse diet in order to get enough of those essential amino acids. Uh, one of the recommendations I saw, if, if you're a huge fan of beans, one to one and a half cups of serving per day is usually uh, sufficient. But again, depends on the amino acid content. So different beans have different amino acid content. There was a top 10 list for vegetarians and vegans in terms of how to supplement their diet if they're going meatless. Again, tofu on the top of the list, but then there's a lot of these grains that are called pseudo-cereal grains that you're familiar with. 
things like quinoa. Mm. One cup of quinoa yields eight grams of protein. Another one is aramanth, which uh, I think is more, honestly, I'm not really sure where it originates from, but it, it like quinoa is unlike wheat, you know, it's, there's less of the, the carbohydrate and more protein rich. Same thing with like buckwheat and also hemp seed and chia seed, which I know you're familiar with too. Uh, those also are a good source of lipids anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's the vegetarian perspective, but going back to say if most Americans probably aren't ready to give up the meat. Yeah, no. Right? <laughs> Where's the beef? And uh, I remember watching this documentary talking about fake meat and they had panels of children that they were feeding them slices of burger, right? Like they had an actual cooked burger made out of cow, one that was an impossible burger that mm-hmm. had this heme iron in it that tastes just like meat. And the kid fell in love with the veggie burger. And then when he told it was a veggie burger, he was immediately, I'll never touch it again. (laughs) (laughs) People love the beef. Right. Okay. So what do we do? What do we do for those people who, despite the advances that we've made in mimicking the taste of meat, there's just some people who just don't want to give it up. So that's where cultured meat comes in. Okay. So I think we touched on this at the very end, but do you recall what cultured meat is? Do you know what cultured meat is? Isn't it like meat that's like grown in a lab as opposed to grown on a cow? Basically. <laughs> okay. Yep. Mmm. <laughs> sounds like Give me a meat. fork and knife. <laughs> Give me some lab meat. Yeah. Mmm. Lab meat. <laughs> sounds so appealing. Well, you're exactly right. So... This is taking a completely different approach to growing meat or, or animal agriculture, if you will. So if you think of, and again, I'm, I always like to take the biological perspective, you know, an animal is a complex biomechanical machine, right? There's there's tissue, there's bones, you know, there's infrastructure, and then there's a nervous system that drives it all. And there's heart and lungs and organs that you know, help to facilitate the existence of this creature, which you then have to feed it food, complex food that you have to grow out of the ground. So the difference with cultured meat, we're simplifying things now. Instead of growing a whole animal, we're just culturing the cells. We are taking cells from that animal, so they're still cow cells, but instead of growing the entire animal, you just grow the tissue that you're interested in consuming. So the way it works is, and this is so Dr. Frankenstein, but (laughs) what's really interesting about this to me is this is very much how we manufacture biopharmaceuticals, and it starts with a cell culture. So to use an analogy like when you brew beer, and I think I used this analogy before, instead of cultivating yeast cells, you're cultivating animal cells. You have a big bioreactor and you're growing them in them. Uh, The difference is, instead of them just sort of being like free-floating, they're actually seeded into a scaffold. So imagine when you like say buy the idea is that it, like you you, you want a hamburger, right? Why don't you just grow the cells in a matrix in the form of a hamburger? That's the idea. Uh, and the matrix is, is usually naturally derived. It's, it's, it cons- consists of like collagen proteins that you would normally find in animal tissue that you'd eat anyway. 
and then it lives in this fermenter that's just washed in a bath of nutrients, glucose, very, very basic uh, nutrients, right? So instead of like growing grass to feed the cow, now you're just feeding it like liquids. It's very matrixy. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So it's a, these cells have a liquid diet. And what's really interesting is it doesn't take very long to grow these things up. You're talking like two to eight weeks to culture these cells. Hmm. And then you harvest them, and then essentially you would package them. So it would go straight from these fermenters to a packaging facility or something, or it would most likely be in the manufacturing space, and then just get shipped out to the grocery store. So I'm confused. When you grow the cells, does it look like meat? So, yes, kind of. It doesn't have... Obviously, the, it doesn't have the tissue that's grown the way like the muscle tissue is on a cow, but... For all intents and purposes, it's still muscle tissue. What they do, though, it's a little complex. Uh, they start with stem cells. So stem cells, as you understand, they aren't programmed to be anything in particular. They right. can grow into whatever, right? right? So they can become muscle tissue. They can become brain tissue. We want them to become muscle tissue. So then you have to essentially program them genetically modify them to then become muscle tissue cells. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure people who are listening to this immediately are thinking all of this work and science that goes into doing this versus just growing a cow on the farm and feeding it water and grass sounds way more complex. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there definitely are some challenges to it. So this is a very new, I'm talking like, 20 years in the making, okay? We're still in the infancy. So just to give you some perspective, the first commercial cell of cultured meat uh, is in Singapore. So, and again, I think I mentioned Singapore is like a, a, a huge hub of uh, alternative meat dining experiences. So there's a lot of vegetarian, a lot of vegan, but they hosted its, its forum. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant here, but the actual product was manufactured by a company called Eat Just. So they supplied, it's essentially a chicken. It's in the form of like a nugget shape that you can actually commercially purchase in Singapore if you live in Singapore. So it's, it's chicken that's, again, lab-grown, and it's regulatory-approved within Singapore. I don't know what the regulatory requirements are in the U.S., but there are sure. manufacturers from the U.S. Eat Just is based out of California, there's a number of other companies that are actively pursuing different pathways to growing cultured meat. One of the, the touted benefits uh, from a human health perspective is you consider you're growing animals on the farm, you're hitting them up with antibiotics, you know, they have a tailored diet, they're genetically modified in some cases. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's more about the, the way they're, um, you know, the conditions on the farm, and then, of course, the way they're butchered and packaged. Yeah, and there's so, waste involved with that, and there's, you know, exactly. methane when cows are involved. And so here you're kind of reducing supply chain a little bit, but you're growing these cells up in a sterile environment, and the way you harvest them and then package them. For example, one case in point is with shrimp, where shrimp and other shellfish, they tend to be, you know, bottom feeders, right? They eat garbage. 
in order to survive. But in a controlled environment, you get to choose what to feed them. So people could eat cultured shrimp and not have people who have shellfish allergies. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't have because there wouldn't be iodine because they're not meat. feeding yep. off the ground. Exactly. Oh, would you start eating underwater bugs if it was a cultured? Well, underwater technically, bug? they wouldn't be underwater bugs right anymore. They'd, be they'd, they'd just cultured be shrimp cult- tissue. Cult- mm. I mean, I still eat them occasionally. Rarely. Not that you know. <laughs> I really advertise, but I guess I'm doing that now. Uh, <laughs> some of the challenges, though, again, are tied to the the complexity and, and the scale. So it's like any new technology, it's still in the early phases, it's still growing and expanding. The industry is worth about 570 million. Mm. That's what's projected to be worth in 2025, which really isn't a whole lot of money. No, when you compare it to the other. Right? You compare it to the food industry, you're talking billions and billions of dollars, probably trillions. So it's still in its infancy. One of the challenges is is, um, accessing proprietary cell lines so they have to again it's still animal derived the tissue they pull it from actual animals but it's getting access to that and then establishing what they call um, a cell line that they could then pull from so you have a stable cell line you draw from that cell line and then you inoculate them and culture them and grow them up right so Mm -hmm. instead of having to constantly draw them out of the cow the other issue is limited manufacturing scale so the way they can grow these imagine the way animal tissue grows it it still needs to have access to nutrients and dispose of waste and if you try to grow a thick dense cake of animal tissue it's not going to grow properly Uh, and then the other piece is raw material cost of goods to you know grow a bioreactor full of animal cells but it's a it's a very sci-fi way of, of dealing with the meat dilemma, which we know sci-fi becomes science truth. Just give it a couple decades. We'll see where we're at. The other meat alternative, and I'm just going to scratch the surface on here, but I've seen a number of papers about it, and that is insects. Insects no. being the future of meat. No, no. You wouldn't do that? Nope. Oh, come on. Nope. I mean, people... Current, I mean, it, depending on what culture you're from, insects are a delicacy. I know, and, and that grosses me out. And it, yes, and certainly, <laughs> I, you know, the idea of eating Jiminy Cricket, even if he's chocolate covered, isn't nope. particularly appealing to me. But the truth is, insects, uh, just by their fundamental nature and design, they process waste into healthy fats and proteins. So they also, by consuming them, it would be contributing to the environment so would you eat insects well here's the thing i've seen a number of publications that talk about again it's it's processing them in a way that would make them palatable to the masses so again like your response ooh, i wouldn't eat that no that's most people's attitude i think (laughs) but if you were to grind up and make an insect burger for instance people and you, you you color it brown and give it some some spices, people probably wouldn't... Okay, but again, you still didn't answer my question. Which is... Would you eat them? Would you do eat I them? eat them? No, I have not. Would no, I, I'm saying, would, would you? Would I eat them? Sure, I would try. And you won't eat underwater bugs. You won't eat shellfish. The most delicious, delicious <laughs> food on the planet is shellfish, and you won't eat it because it's an underwater bug. But you'll eat above-ground bugs? Maybe, I, I did, well, so I would try a grub. I would try a grub. But I wouldn't eat like spiders or anything with legs. I'm not. I'm not a fan with legged things. So, <laughs> but that's it's a, a potential alternative. Although every time I think about the idea of cultivating insects, 
uh, I imagine them being like in some massive facility and then there's a breach and then all of them escape and then they decimate the human crops and the human population and it's like total yeah, you know apocalyptic bad idea. be grateful fuel for you know sci-fi movie <laughs> no thank you yes so there's that but anyhow so cultured meat keep an eye out for it i expect to see that that's only going to continue to grow once they figure out ways to manufacture it less expensively but there's a lot of benefit there the other thing i want to then talk about briefly is going back to the boxes that you see on the shelf when you're mm-hmm. at the grocery store, whether you're buying cereal, whether you're buying crackers, whatever, right? Most things in the grocery store in their box, unless you're in the produce section. Sure. So there's some things to be mindful of when you're reading the label. And I'm sure most people have scratched their head uh, or just kind of puzzled for a moment as to what some of those ingredients are, right? Because once you start getting to the bottom of the list... They get harder to read. Well, but here's the thing. The things at the bottom of the list, there's less of in there. So the way the label works is that your top ingredients, right, the things that are listed first in that little paragraph are the things that is the most of in that food. Right. And then as you get down to the bottom, that's the least amount in there. Of course, it doesn't tell you how much of what is in there. But, you know, if xanthan gum is the second to last thing on the list, then, you know, there's very little, very little of, it of in there. the xanthan gum. You are exactly right. Correct. But it's the ones that we don't recognize, I think, that probably freak us out the most. Sure. And you'll, if you Google any of those names, you'll see tons of blogs about them. People throwing up the question, is this good for you? Is this bad for you? What do these mean? So a lot of them are artificial in nature. So they're actually synthesized in a lab and they're either added for texture purposes or for you know preservation right so that things yeah. don't spoil preservatives yep right one of the things i wanted to touch on was natural flavors <laughs> and we have a running joke which i will not share on the air because it's very inappropriate but it came from an article that i read from the co-op it was posted in the co-op talking about flavors that are derived specifically from a gland from beavers Mm -hmm. and this chemical that synthesized or that's produced by the beaver is responsible for some of the the natural flavoring used in things like strawberry flavors chocolate flavors uh, so if you're reading like the ice cream, your your ice cream container and you're reading the label and it, you have a box of strawberry and it says natural flavors, it could be that there is a flavor derived from a beaver gland in, <laughs> in <there>. it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I also know that natural flavors, thanks to my sister who has many allergies, that sometimes natural flavors can include little bits of of different kinds of oils like sesame oil and she's very allergic to sesame. So now she has to avoid anything with natural flavors because it could have amounts of sesame in it. And you know, which is something she's allergic to, but it's considered a natural flavor. It comes from nature. Sesame seed is nature. It's natural. It's also a very small amount, but for her, a very small amount over time, eating a lot of things with that in it can can really cause our problems. You're exactly right. So the regulatory authorities define natural flavors as those that derive their flavor or aroma from an animal 
or plant source. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting, though, is food manufacturers have to disclose the ingredients that are in their labels. But these flavor enhancers, right, there's no nutritional value to them necessarily. But there's They're manufactured usually separately. So the flavor manufacturers don't have to disclose their source. Mm. So that's why you see the natural flavors on the food label. Right, and doesn't tell you what's in it. And what's another interesting piece about it, if you juxtapose that to artificial flavors, which when you hear artificial flavors immediately like this, siren goes off in your head. It's artificial. It's bad for you. It's mm-hmm. not good. Artificial flavors, those are, what, what do you think artificial flavors are? What does that mean, artificial flavors? I mean, I would think artificial flavors would probably be something that's like like a flavor that doesn't exist in nature, a flavor that is crafted by using different artificial sources. I have no idea. <laughs> so you're you're partly right. Artificial flavors are essentially flavor compounds that are manufactured in a lab. So consider this, every smell and taste, and, and, and I learned this directly from, uh, there's a, a name for these guys, but, and I, I can't recall the name. Anyhow, these guys who say, scientists who work at Hershey, mm-hmm. all they do is identify flavor aromatic compounds. Yes. Now, the trick is all of the flavor, uh, aromatic compounds that you consume, they all have sulfur in them. There's some measure of sulfur content, and the higher the sulfur content, the stronger the taste or smell. So like dark chocolate, for example, has a higher sulfur content in it. And then what they do is they just synthesize compounds in the lab, and then they have a sommelier in the lab, and as they make these different compounds, these sommeliers will take a sniff and they'll say, oh, that's strawberries, or whatever. So Mm -hmm. they're, they're... mimicking compounds that exist in nature they're just made in a lab gotcha now in terms of safety if you want to consider that art or natural flavors they they can be extracted a number of different ways some of them can use mechanical manipulation like grinding or something uh, or you can use chemicals other chemicals to extract them Hmm. now the processes vary and they're not very regulated so in terms of what's safest, I would actually say artificial flavors. I mean, not that there's a safety concern around natural sure. flavors, but considering the degree of regulation and characterization, artificial flavors, you, you, you kind of know what you're getting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. yeah right. All right. So the only other one that I want to talk about briefly before we switch gears and introduce our musician in the neighborhood uh, was BHT. You've seen this before, right? Our listeners have probably seen this. Yeah, BHT. I can't remember what it is, though. Butylated hydroxytoluene. Mm, That's what BHT butylated stands hydroxytoluene. for. So sometimes you'll see it's the chemical name spelt out on the food <laughs> label, but more often than not, you'll see usually on the commercial, heavily commercialized breakfast cereals and snack items, you'll see BHT in there. So BHT is an antioxidant. It is synthetic. It's made. It's a very small molecule. And it's, it's used, again, to prevent foods from going rancid, specifically fats in foods from going rancid. And there's a lot of blogging about BHT because 
there's concern around BHT and other preservatives of, ha- of having carcinogenic effects. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs around how the FDA has approved uh, BHT for food consumption, but it is. So there is a specific amount that is used. And as you say, the smaller doses or concentrations are at the bottom of the label. So usually BHT is the very last thing you'll see. And in small amounts, it's, it's considered safe. Okay. Now, keep in mind anything, and this goes with pharmaceuticals, and you know this, depending on the dosage, there could be a range where something is okay, and then if you take too much of that, then it could become potentially lethal. Now, interestingly enough, BHT is used medicinally to treat genital herpes. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. apparently, you can apply, uh, BHT can be applied to cold sores to help remedy huh. those issues. So now I've put that thought into your mind every time you're reading BHT on the label. Yeah, great. <laughs> you're welcome. But I think... Just so folks don't freak out, not that, I, you know, me personally, I try to avoid things with preservatives as much as possible. Sure. You know, if I don't have to put it in my body, I'll choose not to. But consider that in small quantities, BHT is acceptable. Now, if like all you're doing is eating breakfast cereal for lunch and dinner and breakfast. And, sure. You know. That could be a problem. Potential concern for buildup over time. So I think that's the one thing that hasn't really been characterized is how long does it take for your body to say metabolize some yeah. of these things well i mean you know you can get sick from eating too much kale right i mean that oh, was yeah. that, there was a whole article about that i mean about eight years ago where people were just like on this kale craze and these people would eat kale smoothie in the morning and kale salad for lunch and <laughs> roasted kale for dinner and then people were getting super sick well, and you know what it was <laughs> do you remember what it was what i can't remember what it was so there's a chemical yeah. called thallium. That's it's, it. It's a heavy metal like mercury. It's in kale. And it's in kale. And if you consume too much of it, you can get thallium poisoning. poisoning. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. And it's very it dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the lesson here is like... Eat a balanced diet, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Eric. That was really fascinating. Um, if you have some thoughts about this, please, please uh, send us an email at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about it. Or you can message us on Facebook or Instagram uh, at what do you know about that. We're on both. So uh, thanks for listening. We're going to take a little break and be right back with Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us and tuning in. It is time for my favorite segment on the show. (laughs) Who are the musicians in your neighborhood? Today, we are joined by Tony Flegiello, a.k.a. Tony Catastrophe, and also Amanda and Teddy are with us. So we're very happy to have you all. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Amanda and Teddy. Hey, you. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm a drummer, a producer, um, and I've been playing in the Philly music scene for quite a while. I would say 20 plus years, something like that. Um, was in a band back in the day when I was younger called uh, Fathead. That's kind of how I got started. Um, and uh, we did pretty well, like in the late '90s, and then um, I left them and just 
went on to uh, kind of be like a drummer for hire, so to speak. So I've been involved in a lot of bands since then, recordings, uh, all types of styles, um, anything from hip hop to reggae to jazz to funk, a um, little country here and there. Um, not a lot of that, but enough to uh, enjoy it once in a while. And um, I don't know, lately I've just been really creative, trying to be as creative as possible in the studio. And uh, I've been doing, like branching out more, like playing a little more bass and keys and doing my own productions and playing a little guitar. So I did some, some recordings uh, during COVID for a um, surfboard company called Dark Arts out in California. And nice. just did it remotely, and uh, they would send me videos, and I would just score the videos with with uh, you know short clips of music. So it was pretty challenging, and it was fun as well. That's awesome. So, yeah, I hope to do more of that kind of stuff as well. Nice. But, um, yeah. Well, Amanda and Teddy, tell us about yourselves. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> We're Amanda and Teddy. We met Tony um, in at the Milo Meeting House when that place was open. Oh, yes. We slayed some drums, and ever since then, we were like, Tony Catastrophe. <laughs> actually, actually uh, uh, Dean Dean kind of hooked us up. Oh, yeah, our buddy Tony, Dean, yeah. yes. And uh, thought we would do, like, wedding stuff, I guess. And yeah, I don't know. I, 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 we just started started gigging. This is our dog banjo too. I don't know if yeah, we can. They they can't hear the dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, we moved to Philly uh, when like COVID happened. Yeah, right at the beginning of quarantine, we moved from Lenape out in Westchester. Okay. Okay. We the city. We were with our previous band, Afro Bear. And um, we just wanted to try it out. So we came in, which was a really crazy time because nobody was here. Like the, the streets would be completely clear. And then like all these like protests and we were like, oh, shoot. Yeah, there was a whole whole mix of things going on. And we, we really came out here to like get exposed to music, which was shut down, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a different climate, no doubt. Even with things opening back up, it just it different. Was, it was it was an odd time when we came here, but it feels really good now because we're connecting with everybody and awesome. You know, it's, it's a nice little uh, yeah, the Philly nice music little scene. community of, of musicians around here. Yes, it's been a lot of fun. Been a lot of uh, fun growing and learning nice. stuff like that. Yeah. So, what's the name of the the project? Is it Amanda and Teddy? Is that the project? So what happened was uh, when when we left the the band Afro Bear and kind of did this thing, and we just decided it'd be easier just to call it Amanda and Teddy and not get it complicated with band names. I like that. We really started doing duos more yeah. than band stuff, more than anything. Yeah, so it just seems that. silly to have a band name for a At duo. The time. Yeah. So so we did that. And it kind of just stuck. We like to go, we're Amanda and Teddy and Tony and Freshy. And <laughs> and <laughs> you got Freshy playing bass, huh? Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yep. Freshy. Freshy. Yep. John Thompson uh, played on the rap, on the, the songs that we were working on. Um, and also Obadiah on keys. So John Thompson is a saxophone player. Played uh, 
sax, and what else did he play? Flute, I think. We did the alto, the sax, and yeah. the flute. Yeah, awesome. Nice. So, yeah. How would you yeah. categorize your music if you had to? What What would you say? I would say, I don't know, Tony, what do you think? I would say um, a little bit um, neo-soul kind of vibes and like funk, a little bit of rock. Uh, we definitely pull some reggae vibes in there as well. Nice. So it's pretty eclectic, I would say, um, overall. And, um, you know, the, the new stuff has, has been fun. Just having to be able to, you know, the pleasure to work with you two and, and the rest of the band. Um, writing music again and instead of just doing covers because I do like doing covers but you know when we get creative it really gets more um, I don't know just so like long standing thing that, that could go for generations and just be recorded pieces of art you know and that's kind of what I hope to uh, keep going with when, I, when I'm recording and creating and um, and then the live shows are just fun because we're all just having a good time rocking out and uh amanda is an amazing singer so that helps and uh teddy's an awesome guitar player so nice. we just have a we have fun, we fun. so yeah. uh, my question is for amanda and teddy where how, how long have y'all been making music um we've been making music together for i want to say like six or seven years however many years ago that is <laughs> 2015 mm -hmm. um yeah we met I didn't really even, I didn't think, I didn't even think really play. We weren't much. taking it seriously. Our first band name, we had so many. That's it. <laughs> yeah, our first know. one was like Lakota, and then we had something crazy, and then we had our band Afro Bear, which really made some noise. Yeah. And uh, that was our first like little experience. And that was like, so amazing. What music? can you know like like live shows can be like same kind of flavors like what you guys are doing now different yeah, yeah it's similar flavor. vibes okay you know all about we're all about the good vibes just whatever kind of happens that's why we have trouble i think classifying our genre because we can really do anything yeah. just as long as it feels right and good the song being written is never like written you know, it's always just people getting in a room together and be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Why don't we just roll with that? I don't know. It, uh, it's just like a collective thing and everybody kind of like throws a little two cents in and it becomes something else that you never really <laughs> thought it could be. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Well, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about this track that uh, we're going to play for our listeners here today. Sort of where, where was yeah. this birth from? Um, I'm curious, where did you guys record this? Was this just like a home project? Did um, you guys go to a studio? You know, the boom room. Uh, yes. We, 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 yep. cut, we cut in the boom room, uh, which was nice because I've never recorded there like in that context. I've usually just done live gigs there that sometimes got recorded. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed how it turned out, like the tracking and everything. So, um, uh, this guy Eric, what, what's Eric's last name that produced uh, it? Eric o Eric Bogatz, or yeah. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Eric, I'm so sorry. Bo okay. <laughs> Bogatz, B O G A T, like S Z. Okay. Yeah, he's he's really great. He's got great he's ears. He's amazing. He did yeah. our mix. He's still mixing. We're actually mixing <clears throat> over at Spice House Sound. Okay is fantastic studio. amazing if anybody wants to like 
go to a studio like obviously the boom room you're never gonna have a bad time there but spice house sound is incredible spice house sound yeah they're really great and eric's been really uh eric really is like a, a superhero <laughs> i'm sure the track you're about to listen to isn't exactly finished so this track that you're you've been given is a super super inside scoop because um our saxophonist and flautist who are the same person is not on the track <gasps> yet yet uh, so you know this is like a secret scoop and i'm super yeah. excited about it like i'm so excited his his horns are simmering you know like marinating for the final mix nice okay. let's play let's take a listen to it all right all right cool. and the track is called been a, been a while been a while Sorry. all right is this is this going to be on do you guys have like an album that you're releasing this putting out an ep in the at the end of may or early june and it's actually going to be called been a while and this is going to be the first song on there nice it's a three song ep and it's kind of get the gonna get the ball rolling for a bunch of other releases after that nice great okay yeah. so awesome. let's check this out check it out been a while
Wow, that is a really nice. A smooth. Tune. That is a very, very smooth tune. Um, Thank you. Thank you. That's a super inside scoop. You know, there's parts missing to that and um, editing I, that hasn't even been done yet. So I'm so happy that we got to share that, though. Like the process. Thank you. No, All right. Well, sneak we're, peek we're, for our listeners. We're flattered. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> oh, you people in Radio Land, you're special. Yes. So you guys have a presence online that we could share with our listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Tell us about yeah. it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Give us a follow. Amanda and Teddy. Every letter, every word. You know the deal. Um, Tony Flagiello, right? Yeah. Tony Flagiello. Um, But if you want to see the Amanda and Teddy band, we're playing this Friday. This Friday. This Friday we're at. Tomorrow. um, Yeah. The Kennett Kennett Creamery. Yeah. Out in Kennett Square. We have a really big fan base out there because that's where... Teddy and I started. Mm-hmm. So all those people out there did is come and represent and show yeah. them time. So we're really excited. We're actually sharing the stage with Featherborn with um, lead singer Danny Bissell. Okay. Tell us what time, what time does that show start? So the show starts at seven. We go on at nine, but I definitely recommend coming out. Teddy's playing the bass for the opening band mm-hmm. and the venue is amazing. It's, kind of an indoor outdoor venue if you want to take a break from the music you nice. can throw axes what <sighs> okay wait we're going right <laughs> hopefully they, hopefully they like us <laughs> i mean right. that's <laughs> like that i mean live music throwing axes that's just like the cherry on top right. yeah <laughs> to switch gears a little bit here um yeah our good friend tony here also independently um the open Mike MC of the century uh, <laughs> yeah, has a has a standing open mic every Thursday happening yes. tonight. Yes, um, at the uh, place that used to be called the Blue Comet. It's in Glenside on Easton Road. Um, it's called Franklin's Glenside now. So everybody's welcome. You know, singer songwriters, uh, MCs, people that want to like do spoken word, um, saxophone players. You name it, like it's really open. I try to keep it as uh, eclectic as possible, just so we can all be in one room together and um, and just experiment, really, and just see what what happens. So yeah, it starts at like eight o'clock. I, I wrote till twelve, but you know, like if it's uh, if it goes longer, it goes longer. But yeah, Franklin's cool. and Gunside. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for being with us. We really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us, and we look forward to seeing you out some sometime yeah. soon live. Thank you all so much for being with us tonight. Thank, thank you both. We really appreciate uh, you having us.